Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to, no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything, from T-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets, and of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days. Like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection, or the rich and polished premium slub crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code staple two zero. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, welcome everybody to the Inferno Suns podcast, episode number 34. It's been a while since we've been together. We're glad to be back at the end of the summer. I'm your host, Dana Scott, with co-host, the legend, Ted Savalas, formerly of the Suns, the Lakers, the Nuggets, and the Dallas Mavericks, and Dr. Patrick Batillo, a.k.a. Suns superfan, Mr. Orange, who's always at the Suns games and sometimes at Mercury games. So we're going to discuss a couple things today. Harden and his accusations of Daryl Morey being a liar, wanting to be out of Philadelphia and wanting possibly to go to the Clippers. And if he does go, what would that do to the Suns-Clippers rivalry uh, that's been brewing the past couple of years, as well as the, the Phoenix Mercury WNBA team, what their bad record of 9-26 will do for them to possibly get the number two overall pick and who they could get to help their roster next season as Diana Taurasi is in the twilight of her career uh, and Brittany Griner as well coming back, uh, possibly the re-signing as a free agent. And we're going to discuss Hip Hop's 50th anniversary since it is August 31st. This is the anniversary month of Hip Hop's uh, 50 years in existence. And I was at the Yankee Stadium concert earlier this month phenomenal phenomenal but it got ended by a letdown which i'll discuss uh with you said first because you have a run dmc shirt on and involves them but anyway uh it's a personal letdown not a big one but can't have everything you want but we'll discuss first harden james harden called daryl Morey a liar in china during a promo for one of his uh shoes earlier this month he is not happy with the Philadelphia 76ers. He's played with them for a whole full season last year. Um, and then he now wants out again his third trade request in two years, going from Houston to Brooklyn to Philly. Now he wants out and possibly going back home where he's from in Los Angeles to join Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and possibly reunite with Russ Westbrook for the second time. So said, if he goes to the Clippers, how would that heighten the Suns' rivalry? And also, we've seen these holdouts happen before where players come into disgruntled uh, situations at training camp. And so 
How does that shake out for the team for the 76ers side? Well, first for the rivalry with the Suns, it's um it, it's been brewing for a while, as you said, but I think the biggest thing is the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, that whole mixture of those being the young bunch in Oklahoma City and then breaking off and uh, trying to do their own thing. All of them been former MVPs. Uh, you know, we know James Harden is very talented. Uh, he has ability to change uh, the game and also take over basketball games with passing, shooting, uh, and, and the way he uh, conducts the basketball. But you know, it just seems like it's always something when things are going right. Does he want a super team? Uh, does he want a team on his own? Uh, does he want to share the limelight? We don't know. Only James can answer these questions uh, by him calling management a liar. Um, and what is, I mean, what do you, what does he really want? Uh, that's what I think needs to be stated in, in, in order to fix anything in Philadelphia, to fix anything if he's going to the Clippers. Uh, but it'll make them very dangerous. Uh, they already are with Kawhi and, and Paul George. Uh, you know, those two tandems are just ridiculous playing together, especially when they're healthy. Uh, but, you know, you look at the Steve Bomber having uh, ownership and the way they're trying to uh, build that new stadium or arena in uh, Inglewood, it's just going to be great, not only for the city to bring a home, another hometown hero home, because uh, that would be four, you know, four L.A. kids uh, playing with the Clippers and, and uh, really boosting that rivalry with Phoenix. But, uh, you know, the contenders with Bill and and Booker, uh, Aiden, and 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 Durant uh, having a you know I don't even know if you call it the big three or big four, but uh, you know just trying to add to try to take over uh, that position of a of a Western Conference team that has to contend with Denver. Sure, Patrick. Yeah, I think, you know, said hit it on the head. I think it would be exciting if it actually happens. I think uh, James Harden is. And he's creating a really poor image of himself, if you're asking me, with front offices. I don't know who, uh, with his track record and then obviously his his public comments, I don't know who is going to want that, especially a team that has a caliber like the Clippers. Um, I get it if it's a team that's rebuilding or needs, you know, a, a big-name star to sell tickets of that nature. But I think, uh, one, it's going to be interesting how that is. I think the change in focus now with the new CBA and trying to, you know, the pendulum swings from owners to players and kind of who dictates where they go and what. And so I think, you know, this CBA is trying to bring that pendulum back in, in motion a little bit more than it has been. So should it happen, I think it'll just add even more to the dominance uh, of the West and then specifically, you know, the California teams. And then obviously what that does for uh, us being a West Coast team as well, I, I think it would make really exciting basketball. But um, it's it's going to be very interesting here with training camp starting up and then hitting, uh, you know, preseason in just over a month. What, what it's going to look like, where does James Harden land or not? And then how does he handle himself should uh, there not be a trade? Right. This is a less than a month away from training camp. It usually starts in the last week of September. From, uh, around the league. And the thing about the Clippers is that you're right, uh, said the owner of the Clippers, Steve Ballmer, is willing to spend money just like uh, Matt Ishby of the Suns because the new arena that's going to open up for the Clippers is privately funded. It's not used by taxpayer money, unlike you know, what they did to renovate the arena in Phoenix at the Footprint Center with the you know, city taxpayer funds when Sarver was the owner. So... Uh, I, I think that Steve Ballmer is willing to go over the luxury tax and possibly 
make a deal. I can't speak for him and speak for his wallet, even though I'd like to, if I could have a chance, um, you know, have his money. But the thing is, is that Harden is definitely lowered his leverage. And I agree with Patrick on that, showing himself out there as kind of a whiner and throwing himself around when he doesn't get his way. There is a alleged uh, a report that, or oh, there's a report I saw that Rachel Nichols said, I believe on the Undisputed yesterday, on uh, Fox Sports that he wants to be number one and not the number two. And I don't understand that if that were to be true, that he came into a situation in Philadelphia knowing that he's going to play with Joel Embiid, the process, the guy that they built their whole team around. So you knew he was going to, or he knew he was going to be basically the second fiddle to Embiid. And Embiid even said when James first got there, that this is not the same James Harden as he was in Houston. He's a playmaker now. And so he's done that, and he's basically didn't play well in the playoffs. And then he pretty much pointed the finger at Doc Rivers inadvertently, I mean, indirectly, got him fired. And now he's pointing the finger at Daryl Morley because he's not getting his long-term deal that he wants uh, after taking a pay cut to say, go get the players that we need to get a championship contender. They did that. Players took back seats, including himself, and now he's mad that he's not getting his long-term deal entering age 34. So I don't understand why Harden would think that going into a place like uh, L.A., uh, where with it's uh, the Lakers or the Clippers, that he would be the number one guy if you have already Kawhi Leonard and you have Paul George, who are their top two guys that make the payroll top-heavy, and even while Russell Westbrook had to take a pay cut in order to join that team. So who does he think he's going to get a long-term deal there? And so I, I think with the rivalry aspect of it, yes, you have two super teams, you know, Suns and Clippers going up against each other. And now it'd be really fun for both teams as the Suns basically have a new arena and the Clippers basically have a new arena that's going to sell itself. And it's going to be box office because you have the Phoenix versus L.A. rivalry. It's not like the Phoenix versus Lakers rivalry of old. So you have something new and fresh that has been brewing since the 2021 uh, Western Conference Finals. And they faced each other in the playoffs last year uh, where they didn't have Kawhi and they didn't have Paul. And obviously you've seen what's happened between Paul George and you know, with Devin Booker uh, basically kind of shading each other through social media, you know, for what Paul George's podcast has taken off based on what Clay Thompson said about uh, uh, Devin Booker and, and and Clay's run-in from early last season when the Warriors and Suns played each other. And, and uh, Clay admitted that he basically had a bad moment and Devin showed him up and Paul claimed that he had a you know, sorry-ass response basically, because Devin said, is that the answer you're looking for? So these things are brewing, and that would be great. But I think that Harden, in the best-case scenario, would probably be getting a long-term deal with a mid-level team at this point, if they have the cap room, because they're not going to get it. He's not going to get in L.A. You know, when he, I know he wants to come home, and that would be great for him to come home, as most athletes do like coming home in the back nine of their career. But I don't see it happening. Next Play, the way he plays right now, sorry about that, Patrick. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, the way he plays right now, I think, you know, he he is in a position to speak the way he's he's spoken out about amongst things. And I know you two uh, said that he was kind of hurting himself, but I, I don't think he's at a point in his career where he has to worry about 
you know, uh, punching, uh, taking punches from the front office or not. 30 teams want James Harden right now. Mm-hmm. You know, two years, three years, maybe four years from now, uh, will he be honored and, 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 and celebrated like Dirk was, like Dwayne Wade was, even though they can't really move or play like they used to? But their their teams, uh, you know, brought them well. D Wade, they brought D Wade back, and then honoring him, he goes out, you know, with a rocking chair, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Dr. J type of thing. And then Dirk never never went anywhere, uh, but he could, you know, his last five years, he, you know, everybody in the league know he couldn't play, you know, up to Dirk Dirk uh, uh, capabilities. But right now, thirty teams that want to win a championship, if you put James Harden on their team, they can win a championship. I don't think you could say that when D Wade, and I don't think you could say that when Dirk in their last five. But right now, he can. So if he wants to say those things, he, you know, you got to go back to, to the Bulls and Dennis Rodman, and way he acted up and he, you know, spoke out and he did crazy things. But they won championships. They won three in a row. So it's still a possibility that a knucklehead, so to speak, uh, you know, that's disrupted. But I think later on, uh, when it's an opportunity, and he's his his skills have diminished to a point where he's not, you know, he's contending maybe for a starting position or he, they want him to come out the bench, you know, kind of like when Allen Iverson was going through his thing when he was getting traded around and he didn't want to come off the bench. He didn't want to, you know, be behind Mark Conley in Memphis and that whole thing. Um, it, it it doesn't hurt right now because, like I said, he, every 30 teams want James Harden on their team right now, regardless if he's saying stuff or he's whining or he's pointing fingers or getting coaches fired. Uh, he's that talented at this point in his career to help a team win a championship. Now, if he goes over to the Clippers and you're saying uh, him being the number one guy, um, attention-wise, yes, he will be the number one guy. Player-wise, no, I don't think he's better than Kawhi Leonard at this point in his career if Kawhi is healthy. Uh, and also Kawhi's resume, you know, the championship Spurs, Toronto, MVP in the finals and that whole thing. No, I, I don't think that. But as far as attention-wise, and this is what, what he may be – trying to get he can get a lot more attention in Los Angeles doing the stuff that he does and being the, the most marketable guy on that team uh than he will to be in Philadelphia even at a lower price so if he figures I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in this uh tax bracket of this salary I'd rather be in Los Angeles doing it that makes sense because I'm wondering like T-Mac actually made a great point about Harden he's played more with more Hall of Famers in his career than anybody else that he you can name offhand. He's played with Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook twice, Kevin Durant twice, actually, Kyrie Irving, Joel Embiid. He has the MVP on his team, okay? And he played with Chris Paul, too, in, in Houston. That didn't work out. Now he wants to go back home. and So it's like, do you want a championship or do you want notoriety at this point in your career? And if you want notoriety, you can get that when you make these types of statements. But that's basically going to compromise your leverage in terms of the money you want because most GMs are going to be like, okay, if he did it here and he did it here and he did it here at these three places, how's it going to be when he comes here and he doesn't basically get what he wants at one moment and the brightest lights that shine on the stage and then he basically just says, I want out. Anyway, Patrick. I wanted to ask you about the WNBA of Phoenix Mercury because I know you attend a lot of the games. Cedric, I know you do sometimes as well. Uh, they actually are going to probably get the number two overall pick come April's draft. The lottery is November. Who do you think would be the best pick 
from women's college basketball to come to the Phoenix Mercury and help it become a playoff contender again, paired with Diana Taurasi and with Brittany Griner? Well, that's a million-dollar question, Dana, if I could answer that. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't be on, uh, you know, doing what I do for my day job. But, no, I think there's so many dynamics now um, in the WNBA, uh, especially at the collegiate level with the NIL deals. Obviously, they exist um, for the men's side, but it's two different worlds when it comes to the WNBA, their salaries, and then – NIL deals. So to me, I think a lot of it is going to, I'm not going to be able to give you a solid answer what, you know, I think it'll be because I think a lot of that's going to factor into what research, what data are they being given, uh, who's in their corner on their team, uh, looking at those deals versus, uh, you know, making that transition to the WNBA. And so I think to me, it adds more excitement, even more excitement, uh, sadly, because of the, the way the salaries are structured in the WNBA, that it adds another variable that we don't see. Uh, with men's sports and so for that I think it's just going to be uh, an exciting time uh, for the Mercury organization to see who they're going to have to choose between where what pick do they land at and then to your point Diana is she going on her uh, 20th season and her farewell, farewell tour excuse me and then who is that person that you know you bring in so uh, a lot of exciting then obviously Phoenix is hosting the WNBA all-star game next year so a whole lot's going on uh, that's heading into this so um, I I'm just excited to see how it all starts to unfold and uh, as we head into next season. I'm sitting there trying to remember her name but it's a perfect fit if she does get the number two pick obviously Reese because of her attention and, and possible going back, winning back-to-back -back championships at LSU. And I can't remember who she beat in the finals that that started this whole hand wave. Dylan Clark. Perfect. She is the next Diana Taurasi. She can she can handle the basketball. She can shoot it. She can score. She can pass it. Uh, I mean, you know, she's just uh, maybe a more athletic Diana. I know Diana's going to punch me in the gut for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is, you know. Uh, and, and I think it's just a perfect fit if they do end up getting that second pick. Uh, especially uh, if they get, uh, get, keep Griner in the middle, uh, this would be a great a great tool for them. Um, I mean, it has to. Go, I know David Stern is not alive, but how he got Bird to Boston and Magic to LA it was unbelievable. I mean, it's just unheard of, yeah. and there's still a mystery on how uh, Larry Bird gets picked to go to Boston and still plays his senior year in, in college. Uh, I don't know, but only have you watched Winning Time though? I, ha HBO? I, haven't I haven't watched it yet. You gotta watch that the winning time on HBO, which actually shows Red Auerbach coming to Bird's house in French Lick and convincing him, I basically picked you, but you gotta come and play. Are you ready? Are, are you gonna come play? Are you gonna like sit, you know, sit out? I mean, that's the thing. And then basically that the draft pick would have evaporated if he decided to to not play uh, in the NBA. So uh, that's another thing that I just want to throw in there. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So the, the rivalry between those two will just it'll just continue on. It's just a great thing that they did. And as Patrick said, the, uh, the deals that they're making in college it obviously keeps them away from some smaller money in the WNBA right. uh, and also keeping them inside the states. Uh, that's the most important thing I think that they're they're dealing with. But I think both of them will come out after next year, and uh, it'll be a great addition if they do have an opportunity to pick at number two. Sure. Well, here's the thing about the number one pick. That is going to the Indiana Fever very likely because the WNBA's lottery is predicated on a two-year cumulative record. The Indiana Fever 
have the worst two-year record at this moment. They had the number one pick last year and got Aliyah Boston, who was the presumptive rookie of the year. She's dominating in the inside. She started in the All-Star game in July. And the number one pick could be Caitlin Clark because of what she has done last season and what she could do this coming season. Also, the Indiana Fever need a point guard. They have one in Kelsey Mitchell, who's one of the best players in the W. But Caitlin Clark is a great spot-up shooter. She could basically move to the two or move Kelsey to the two, and they're very interchangeable in that way. And that could form their big four with Melissa Smith, who's their top four person. I shouldn't say four men because she's not a man. So also Aliyah Boston in the middle, and that could be the nucleus of their rebuilding a block right there. Now, I say number two would be Paige Beckers if she decides to come out. Paige Beckers from UConn is basically all that you want in a, in a guard, complete package. She can shoot. She can defend. She's got long arms. She's a great creator off the bounce and pretty much swept all the Player of the Year awards as a freshman, was the number one high school player in the country. She, to me, is Diana Taurasi 2.0 because of what Diana was coming into UConn in the year 2000 from Don Louisville High School. Shout out to Chino, California, where I used to live and where she's from, right there along Pipeline Drive. And that she used to basically, you know, uh, the Diana was basically coming in as the next great, and she's lived up to that, similar to LeBron for basketball, even though they call Diana the White Mamba in honor of Kobe. And so I think that, Paige coming, if she wins a title at UConn, she will come out this season. If she, She's coming off her ACL tear, which made her miss all last season. So with her history of injuries from her sophomore year and last season, if she comes out and wins a title, she will basically come into the WNBA and become the number two pick. If she does not win the title, she will use her next year of eligibility that she got from the pandemic and for her injuries sitting out. She will go back for a second senior season and so that may move up angel reese who obviously said that uh i'm making more money through nil than i am with going to the WNBA, so i'm no rush to getting there or it could be alia edwards who could be a great you know four person uh and, and basically back up or possibly replace uh brianna turner who's more of a shot blocker and alia edwards at uconn basically stepped up to be the best player in Diana Tarot, I'm sorry, in um, Paige Becker's absence. Or it could be Rakea Jackson, uh, who's a great player as well. Or it might be Cam uh, Cameron Brink from Stanford, who is a great shot blocker, the number three uh, in shot blocking average in the nation last season. Also, she's great footwork, and she's got uh, great skills otherwise that could basically uh, end up being great for her uh, and because this, and they need better defense in the Mercury. They're the last in defensive rating, and also they're bad in rebounding. So, yeah, they need that for next season. So, with Peckers, is basically a changing of the guard. It would be similar to like what you said with uh, the Mavericks with the Nowitzki in his final season. Remember when Luca came in as a rookie, and pretty much they were teammates, and that was that changing of the guard for Dallas. I could see that kind of happen for the Mercury if Beckers were to come in and basically having two UConn legends on the same team. It's basically like the meme of Spider-Man's pointing at each other. And then Diana Taurasi passes the torch and goes off into the sunset. Paige becomes the next great friend Phoenix. But 
Kaylin Clark, who wouldn't want to have her either? I totally agree with you on that set. So last topic before we get out of here is about hip hop's 50th anniversary. So here's my story about Run DMC. They were the headliner of the hip hop 50 concert at Yankee Stadium and they came on at 1.20. So from 6 p.m. till 2 p.m., it was a fest that had some of the greats, a lot of the greats, basically. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. They had Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick, and they had uh, Common and Lupe Fiasco, Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Cameron, Nas. They had, the Cam was the last, uh, second to last, I'm sorry, Nas was second to the last act. Uh, they had Bat Joe, who brought out KRS-One, and he brought out Peter Guns to do Uptown Baby, Deja Vu, and that crowd was rocking, of course, because that was a reprisal of the video from 1997 when they are all at Yankee Stadium, you know, Uptown Baby for the Crown Baby. It was a great scene, uh, hanging out with my wife there, and my history in the Bronx, you know, trust me, I love where I used to live, and then, so um, it was a great, great, great experience. Uh, for that weekend of August 11th. But Run DMC, nobody knew if they were going to come on because it was so late. Uh, they, <laughs> So I ended up leaving early with my wife and then coming up the next morning uh, to, out of the, my hotel, I realized, uh, I read the news that Run DMC actually did perform. So for their last concert ever, my lifelong dream to see you know, Run DMC perform all their hits, I never got to see them when I was actually within the vicinity of wow. DMC. It was really, really sad. But you can't have it all. So, shout out to your t-shirt. <laughs> Let's go. I want to ask, what was your favorite memory of, of entering your love for hip-hop, Said, Wow, let's go back to this first uh, this Yankee Stadium 50-year yeah. anniversary performance. I'm, I was disappointed, one, uh, I wouldn't blame the promoters because this has nothing to do with money. Right. Live Nation. Yeah. Live Nation. And plus, he's under Live Nation. Where was Jay-Z? I, oh, yeah. I, I do not understand why you do not make an appearance, Jay-Z. One song, you can sing. New York, you can sing. Whatever you want to sing. Or just be there. You should have been there, Jay-Z. Shame on you. I don't care. Yeah, he's got a 360 deal with them, I think, right? Yeah, I know. That's why I was like, why? It's just, okay, I'm all right. That's my rant for that. that well, no. <laughs> he's probably uh, following Beyonce on her tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, he could, you know, he's got G6s, G7s, G17s. He could have got there <laughs> and, and just showed a face. Um, man, hip-hop, I'm, I'm just in love with the fact that I was, you know, alive when this generation was born yeah. 50 years ago. Um uh, I can remember the manifestation of it. I can remember falling in love with hip hop. Uh, Summer Day, and real quick story. Summer Day, really hot in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, we, we we don't use air conditioning in Los Angeles for some reason when I was younger, even though <laughs> my mom didn't allow it. So our windows was open. I had to cut off pajama pants on, and I heard this out the window. And I go out into the alley next door to the next door apartment, kitchen window, and I'm listening to this music wondering what it is. And I knew a friend of mine who lived there, his father worked in New York city uh, as a, as a welder or something during the winter time. So he comes to the window and he's got an accent. Like what, what you doing there, son? And I'm like, sorry, sir, but what is that you're playing? And can I get a, tell me what it is? I just want to know more. He's like, Oh, you like that? Let me tip low. And I heard him say something African. 
So I thought it was from Africa. I thought it was something like that. I heard him say Africa something. He flipped it over it in the party people. And I was just like, this is unbelievable. And it was African Bambada's Planet Rock. And I, I just was attached to it and was like, I, I, I just been a fan of hip hop ever since. It's just the creativity, the different styles, the different cultures. Um, you see all these rap battles in Japan. You see all these rap battles in Germany, uh, overseas, all over. It's just it's just unbelievable how much it's spread. I love music, period, but hip-hop really grabbed a hold of me, motivated me, and, and I, I just keep it around as much as possible. No doubt. And uh, shout-out to Dr. Patillo wearing the P, which reminds me of Chuck D back in the day, yeah. looking at Pittsburgh Pirates hat in his videos and on stage. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, you know, obviously uh, not as uh, tenured as uh, said in yourself, but um, uh, born in New York, as you all know, too, and was there until I was seven. And so uh, to Seth's point, though, just the culture, um, you know, that everything that I grew up with was that it's just you you hear the music that that's a way of life there that's different than anywhere else. Um, and if you haven't lived there, you you don't understand that to that level. Um, it, it's just totally different. I think we all have experienced that differently. And um, that's awesome that you got to be there. I know how much <laughs> it hurt you that you uh, missed that performance. But, uh, you know, what what's meant to be will be. And, uh, you know, you at least got to be there at the event that they were last a part of. So that's a, a still a cool memory you'll be able to take with you. Yeah, I really you know love too is, is, is that you can't, because of technology now, you can't frame your tickets because it was electronic, and it's like, oh, oh like you can. Yeah, what's there? Here's my ticket. Put it on the wall. You know. Yeah, you're, you, you. There's not as many keepsakes with the internet now. Yeah, you're right about that, and so you can't put that in a scrapbook. Maybe you can keep that as part of like your 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 photo reel that you have on your phone, but that's as far as it goes. But yeah, you some of those physical keepsakes are so sacred to have. And I, I totally, totally would cherish that too. But I just want to see Run DMC do that. Here we go routine, you know, dumb, oh. diddy, dumb, diddy, diddy, dumb, dumb. You know, I, I couldn't I, I understand why it was going so late. But you know, hip hop concerts never start on time. They never do. They always are delayed. And it was just a great experience to be at Yankee Stadium for one because you're around all these great, great memorabilia of the legends like. You know, Blue Gehrig and Babe Ruth together in the same photo. And you got, you know, uh, guys like Phil Rizzuto and you got guys like uh, Maggio and, you know, Gidry and, you know, Dredgy Jackson and, you know, Thurman Munson and Don Mattingly. And, oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, you got Mantle and, and Maris and, 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 you know, Goose Gossage, the list goes on, yeah. you know? So it's just so great to be in the presence of just American culture and, and baseball as well, but then to have hip hop in its hometown, its home birthplace, and and, and to, to be around all that. And since Snoop Dogg, he also brought out DJ Hollywood, which to me was the biggest highlight of the night. Yeah, um, To show homage to where it started and then he brought he brought out epmd he brought out dougie fresh uh with with slick rick and to do lottie dotty i mean those are the types of things that new yorkers uh cherish and i think the rest of the world has in, in, in engulfed as well but it, it's also with basketball uh, it feels like this is a curtis blow told me in an interview i did with him years ago that when he made his song basketball 
1984, it was about the fact that hip hop has been married to basketball from the beginning in its inception because of the rhythm. Basketball always has a rhythm. You're dribbling the ball, and it's basically percussion, just like you hear with the sound of a beat. So you're, you're in the way that the rapper weaves in and out uh, with his bars. It's the same way that a basketball player dribbles. So uh, that's why the two are so uh, intertwined. And uh, I was really, really glad to be a part of that. And so I use sports as a means. I mean, I use music writing uh, and reporting about the rap industry as a means to get to sports. So that's because uh, I, I love my roots in rap music and then using that as a means to do things like talk to you guys, you know, once a week or once every, I don't know, two, three weeks, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. And also the fashion from the basketball and hip hop, the fact that, you know, track shoes were cool and they had a part of hip hop, but the, yeah. they made it cool to wear basketball shoes other than on the basketball court. I mean, especially right. high tops. I yeah. mean, nobody, you know, if you had on some high tops back in the day, you'd either or in aerobics class or, or, you know, something like that. So the fact that they made basketball shoes a, a part of hip hop with the shell to Adidas, uh, with the Puma, uh, Clyde the Glide, Frazier, you know that whole thing, and uh, it, it's just it's just been a blessing and, and and a great culture. Al McCoy wears Clyde's. Al McCoy wears Clyde's. I asked him about it, and he said, "I just do what feels good," you know. And <laughs> it was his Al McCoy voice. I was like, "Is it because of Clyde?" He's like, "Oh, I like Clyde, so you know, yeah, that's good. That's good." <laughs> uh, Al McCoy's hip hop, man. Absolutely, man. Well, I want to thank you all again for episode 34. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. We got plenty more as training camp approaches. So thank you to Believe Network for posting our stuff. And thank you again for Patrick Batillo and Cedric Sabalas. I'm Dana Scott saying peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.